Today is November 11th, 2020. Drug manufacturer Pfizer claims that they're close to a COVID-19 vaccine. Biden and Trump butt heads about a transition plan. And the Supreme Court hears arguments over Obamacare. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family. We got another great episode coming out for you today. I can say with 100% confidence, this is the best episode that we've done so far. Now, I've heard that I have said that before, but I am serious about it this time. It is good. We got all kinds of stuff happening on the left, all kinds of stuff happening on the right. And we're working so hard to find that sweet truth that just sits right there in the middle. We're going to figure it all out to hear today on Split the Difference podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you are new with us, going to go ahead and just let you know what we're about here up front. My name is Austin Taylor, and I have the goal of trying to bring a little bit of unity in this crazy and divisive world that we live in. As many of you have probably seen, especially over the past couple months, but absolutely over the past couple years, we are being told over and over again from the media and from our friends and probably from our family as well that everything is more divided than ever that there's nothing that we can do to stop it, that you're either on the left or you're on the right, and that you can't, you can't see the good in both sides and you can't see the bad in both sides either, that you have to stake your claim on one side and hate the other. Well, we don't believe that here at Split the Difference Podcast. We believe that there are good and bad things on both sides of the aisle, and we're going to do our best to keep a level head, to stay reasonable, and split the difference between the two, find the truth that oftentimes lies in the middle. So, with all of that having been said, let's move on into our story number one. So, first story is Pfizer, a drug manufacturer, claims that they have developed a vaccine that is working very well. This is what we've all been waiting for. Pfizer, the drug manufacturer, steps forward. Their cape flapping in the wind. They've got a gigantic P subscribed right there in the middle of their chest. And we're looking up and we're like, is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Pfizer man with a vaccine. And everybody's so happy. Yeah, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. They finally did it. COVID-19 is going to be gone forever. Thank you, Pfizer. You're the hero we all needed. You're not a huge drug manufacturer that's probably doing terrible things. (laughs) So... A lot of people are extremely excited about this. Trump is touting this as one of the greatest achievements of his presidency. Uh, There are plenty of people on both sides of the aisle right now that are looking at this and they're like, man, this is the best thing that could have possibly happened. This is exactly what we needed, especially Republicans, right? Republicans have been touting the whole vaccine thing since the very beginning. We're going to get a vaccine in and we're just going to knock it out and it's going to be the best thing ever. It's going to be the best vaccine you've ever seen done in the shortest amount of time that you've ever seen and it's going to heal the world. So uh, right now in early trials, it's showing that it has about a 90% immunity response from um, from across uh, basically all the people that they've looked at so far, um, or that have been in the trial so far, um, it could be done as early as next month. And it's right now, obviously pending regulatory approval and whatnot. So 
The difficult thing here is, before all of us jump up and down and are like, yes, finally, you know, all of this is going to be over. I don't have to live in isolation and in quarantine anymore. Finally, I'm going to have, there's going to be a vaccine and everything is going to be okay. Before we jump to that, because I want to jump to that conclusion just the same as everybody else, we're going to have to look through some stuff, okay? So first, in the past, most vaccines are developed for very, very specific demographics, like children, like the elderly. This is being made for pretty much everyone. That brings in specific, com you know, uh, specific complications that make it a little bit more difficult. But the goal that they're going for here is basically to inoculate everyone, an entire population, at roughly the same time. That is incredibly difficult to do. So it's going to take a while for all of that to get through. And it will prove extremely difficult to get the whole population inoculated so that we have herd immunity and so that people are able to kind of go about their normal lives and not have to worry about COVID-19. It's the same reason why you don't have to worry about polio anymore, right? They had to inoculate pretty much the entire population in order to be able to get that to completely be eradicated and to completely go away. Many scientists and virologists are saying that they don't believe that COVID-19 will ever actually completely go away at this point. But if you have a large enough people that have immunity, then they have quote unquote herd immunity and the vast majority of people are not going to be passing it between one another. So in order to be able to get an entire population of people, and you're talking about, I mean, in the United States alone, 300 to 330 million people, right? The entire world, billions and billions, over 7 billion people, almost 8 billion people. That's a lot of people to get a vi vaccine to. But in order to be able to get it out, it's going to be difficult for a multiplicity of reasons. SAT word, feel free to use it. First, you got to actually manufacture all of the vaccines, there are a lot of vaccines that need to be manufactured and you have to be able to have the facilities necessary to be able to get those things manufactured, get them made, not even including all the shipping and stuff that you have to do. You got to actually get the stuff made. That takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. You got to train all your employees. You have to have all the correct supplies that you need. You have to make sure that there's proper quality assurance and things going on so that uh, things don't get, you know, messed up in the process of it being manufactured. You have to make sure that the right people are involved. You know, you have the right companies involved. Who's going to pay for it? Yada, 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 all that good stuff. The second thing you have to do, the vaccine will more than likely, so far from what they've been able to tell, have to be stored in extremely low temperatures, okay? This means that it will have to be kept cold from the time that's created all the way up to the time that it's administered. And when I say very cold, I don't mean like, you know, a, a chilly Columbia, South Carolina day of 65 degrees. I mean like negative temperatures. There's, some are saying that it could even be negative 75 degrees that you'd have to keep it. That means that transporting a bunch of extremely cold vaccines all over the world and all over the United States, all over Europe, all over China, Russia, they're going to have to be stored and freezer packed in dry ice, okay? That's a lot of dry ice. That's a lot of very, very specialized packaging. You got to be able to ship these things all over the place. Make sure that they've been cold the entire time. Make sure that when they get to the place that they are still cold and make sure that before they're administered that they are properly handled. There'll have to be an incredibly large amount of dry ice packed boxes in order to be able to pull this thing off. That is going to be very difficult. So you can already see how all of the supply lines from cardboard manufacturers to uh, dry ice manufacturers to all these different things are going to have to be, I mean, streamlined perfectly. 
Third, you need a lot of syringes, okay? That's how they're likely going to be administering this vaccine. They haven't come out exactly said what the vaccine's going to, you know, what they're going to have to do, but it likely will be administered through a syringe. You're going to need a lot of them, and you're going to need to be able to send those all around the world. You know, not just America, but you're talking about Africa, you know, China. You're talking about all of these, all these different countries, continents. You have to be able to ship these syringes out to everyone and make sure that people actually know how to do it. The last thing, and this is the most important thing, is you have to be able to convince people that to actually get the vaccine, okay? If 90% of the population, or if 90% of uh, the vaccine, uh, the people that take the vaccine become immune to it, quote, or that, you know, they have a, you know, I guess an immune response to the vaccine, then, um, you would only need to get about three quarters of the population to get the vaccine in order to have herd immunity. So at the 90% level that they think that they have right now of people that will become immune if they take the vaccine, if that actually holds true, then you only need three quarters of the population in order to reach herd immunity. But if that rate falls to 80% effectiveness, meaning only 80% of the people that take the vaccine actually become immune to it, you now have to get every single person to take the vaccine in order to get herd immunity. It's not going to happen, right? There is no way you're going to be able to convince all these people and all these all these anti-vaxxer groups on Facebook to be able to go out and to take a vaccine and they are hell-bent on never taking a vaccine at all, right? Let alone a COVID-19 vaccine that they developed in like less than a year. So bottom line is, it's going to take a long time for all this to get up and running. It's going to take a long time for herd immunity to happen. I don't see the masks going away anytime soon. I don't see everything opening up 100% anytime soon. I know a lot of people are basically thinking like, oh man, as soon as we get a vaccine, everything's going to go back to normal. Everything's going to be fine. But that's not true. It's going to take months and months to be able to roll this vaccine out. And there are a lot of people right now that are saying that they don't think that a vaccine will be able to actually end shutdowns and quarantines uh, before 2021 is over. So that means that you're not going to see a, a lot of these shutdowns stop until the beginning of 2022. That's what some people are saying. Now, I don't necessarily think that that may happen, but I don't know. I'm not an immunologist. I'm not a virologist. I can't sit here and talk, you know, tell you what I, a vaccine is going to do. All I can do is report on the statistics that I've seen and read. And for the most part, what I'm seeing is, this is not the, the solution right now that's going to end quarantine by the end of 2020 like Trump and a lot of the Republicans would like to say. It's just not going to happen. You're probably going to be wearing your mask for a much longer period of time than you would probably prefer. So with all of that, let's go ahead and move on into our story number two. So our second story of the day is that the transition of power between the Trump presidency and leading into the Biden administration it's not going nearly as smoothly as we'd all hoped for. Can you guys imagine that? That Trump would not want to make the transition of power go extremely smooth for Biden? All of this is obviously because Trump has not accepted the election results yet. A lot of Republicans have not accepted the re results yet. I mean, Mitch McConnell was just out like yesterday or the day before yesterday talking about how he supports the president and all of what he's saying and doing right now. Absolutely bonkers, right? Like some of the stuff that Trump is saying is like, I actually, I'm going to have to, I don't have my phone on me right now. If you go onto my Instagram and look at the, uh, the screenshot that I took of Trump's tweets over the past, over the, like it was, I think maybe on Tuesday, 
middle of the day. He had tweeted like five or six times in all caps, basically just like the election is fake news. Like uh, basically all of it's a hoax, all kinds of stuff. I mean, just ridiculous. So uh, the head of the General Services Administration, which oversees the transition of a new presidential administration, has refused to admit that Biden won. That's because they're, you know, pretty much told what to do by Trump. They're part of the executive branch or executive department. So Trump administration won't let uh, Biden get any of the money or anything that he needs. They won't release millions of dollars to the Biden uh, team that would help him and ease his transition into the administration as he's kind of like assuming and taking power. And it's clear that Trump is pretty much just outright refusing to concede the election this is not surprising. We know we kind. Of, I think a lot of people knew that if he lost, this is what was going to happen. But it's kind of unfortunate for Biden and honestly for the country because Biden can't start getting a lot of the things done that he needs to get done. That will be much extremely beneficial for him and his administration once he starts in the begin in the middle or end of January. So um, it's unfortunate because we're all kind of sitting here like, well, all right, I guess Trump lost. And Biden needs to be preparing and needs to be putting stuff out about what he's going to do. But, you know, Trump won't admit that he lost. So how is Biden supposed to prepare for the administration going in? Like if, if the president or the executive branch isn't preparing for Biden, like what's going to happen? So Mike Pompeo actually even came out and said that there would be a smooth transition into the, quote, second Trump presidency. So these are all people working underneath Trump refusing to admit that Biden even won the election, even though it's called by pretty much every major news source at this point. Attorney General Barr is also telling his staff not to concede the election either. On Monday, he told prosecutors they should examine unsupported allegations of voting irregularities before state certify results in the coming weeks. So it's clear that he's working, he's doing his best to try and slow down the process, trying to make it so this, this transition to power is going to be as difficult as possible. Um, while all this is start, while all this is going on, right, all this stuff is kind of happening in the background. You're seeing a whole bunch of the GOP start to slowly but surely distance themselves from Donald Trump. <laughs> You're seeing a lot of them like looking around, kind of confused, and they're like, um, "Well, looks like Trump's going to be out of power here soon." And he's saying a bunch of really crazy stuff right now, so I'm going to act like I'm not with this guy. I'm going to act like he's doing his own thing, and I have no idea what's going on. So it's obvious, fairly obvious over the past couple years, that Donald Trump has consolidated pretty much all of the power of the Republican Party around himself. Trump is the Republican Party right now. And if you went against Trump over the past, especially three years or so, it was pretty, if you were a Republican, you were, it's pretty much political suicide. Very much on the same side, like if you were a Democrat that said that anything that Trump did at all was okay, total political suicide. All the Democrats completely disavowed you. The Republicans, on the other hand, if you said that you weren't for Trump, the vast majority of the Republican Party and the Republican electorate was like, ah, never mind, they're not a Republican anyway, they're just a Democrat. So, uh, the G GOP came out, actually, and for the 2020 election, did not update their party platform at all from 2016. They basically just issued this weird, ambiguous statement that was like, pretty much whatever Trump does, we're okay with. Totally out of the norm, right? That is not something that has ever happened before. 
I don't, maybe I don't want to say it, it's never happened before, it is not a normal thing for a party to not update their party platform leading into a new election. They pretty much just threw their hands up and they were like, sure, whatever Trump says goes. That is not good for the Republicans. So right now you have the Republican Party that's pretty much split. Like, uh, all right, do we continue to do this whole like Trump, like just brash populist agenda type thing where he just goes out and says whatever it is that he wants to say, does whatever it is that he wants to do, and he just owns it completely. And he obviously has a large amount of supporters. Like, do we continue to do that or do we not do that because it turns off a huge amount of people and we need to win elections. Um, the, the most Republicans are agreeing right now that Trump basically just needs to stop doing what he's doing. And they're trying to get a, at least an arm's length distance away from him <laughs> in order to kind of be able to save themselves a little bit. So um, Mitt Romney actually has a... Uh, as a, as a pretty good interview that he did with Chuck Todd over at MSNBC, or uh, I believe, is he at MSNBC or NBC? I think he's just with NBC, NBC News. Uh, but Chuck Todd, he's a guy that was pronouncing Robeson County the other night. Gah. But uh, Chuck Todd, kind of smart sometimes. Sometimes he's just way over the top. He interviews Mitt Romney right here. Um, and I think that Mitt Romney actually gives a pretty decent synopsis of um, everything that's going on right now. So let's go ahead and hop in and uh, take a quick listen to this. What did you learn from the voters on Tuesday night? Well, uh, I learned that uh, Republicans picked up seats in Congress, uh, held on to the Senate, picked up uh, state houses across the country, but we lost the presidency. Uh, and so it's a bit of a mixed message. I think people uh, are saying that conservative principles still uh, account for the majority of public opinion in our country. I don't think the American people want to sign up for the Green New Deal. I don't think they want to sign up for getting rid of coal or oil or gas. I don't think they're interested in Medicare for all or higher taxes that would slow down the economy. But they do want to see a change in leadership in the White House, apparently, at this stage. And, um, uh, and so it's a message which says, all right, a change in leader, uh, but we're not going to be turning a, a sharp left turn in terms of public policy. Right. So that's Mitt Romney basically being like, and everything that he says there is completely true. Okay, so uh, the Republicans did pick up some seats in the House. They, you know, pulled a little bit of control away from the Democrats. There, it looks like they're not going to concede the Senate. Um, more than likely, obviously, it's kind of up in the air depending on if it goes into a runoff in Georgia. But uh, right now, it looks like they maintain control of the Senate as well. Uh, the vast majority of states have Republican governors, and you know, um, at the gubernatorial level, it's majority Republican. But the Republican president was voted out. So Mitt Romney is basically like, listen, this is just a, repudi a repudiation on Trump and who Trump is. The majority of the American people are still voting more conservatively, but we they just don't want Trump. Like, Trump was just a uniquely awful candidate. And... He's 100% correct. And with the amount of power that's been consolidated around Donald Trump and how uh, stereo not basically stereotypically not conservative he's been, I mean, it's been a total populist move by Donald Trump. The Republican Party is going to have a huge identity crisis right now. It's true that the majority of the people that voted actually ended up voting in Republican senators and House members and stuff. But it also is true that Joe Biden ended up having, you know, some of the high, some of the highest levels in the entire, I think, in the history of the United States in terms of the popular voter turnout. So um, 
you know, people also just didn't want Donald Trump. So uh, it definitely looks like the GOP is going to have to pull back a little bit and kind of do some soul searching here. Like, what what are we going to be? Are we going to get back to our roots from four or, you know, eight years ago? Or are we going to move more towards and stay towards what Donald Trump kind of changed the Republican Party to be over the last four years? So it will be interesting to see how the party actually moves uh, in that direction here soon. So with all of that being said, let's move on into our story number three. So for story number three, the Supreme Court listens to arguments over Obamacare. So this right here is the big story of how the Republicans were going to come in and ruin Christmas through the Supreme Court shooting down Obamacare, throwing that thing into the wind, and ruining health care for everyone for years and years to come. The only thing that we've heard for like the past two months from all of the Democrats has been that through this case right here, starting on November 10th, and them electing Amy Coney Barrett, which she didn't even sit through any of these hearings anyways, but them electing and or nominating and pushing through Amy Coney Barrett was the Republicans just trying to get rid of your health care. Republicans hate it when people have health care. And I mean, there have been Democrats that have come out and said that through this case right here in the Supreme Court, the Republicans were going to actively kill millions of Americans. Okay. And the fact that they're using that kind of language is just disgusting to say the least. But the case that Democrats were saying is that this case right here that that the Supreme Court is listening to is going to be the harbinger of change, that it was going to strike down all of the Affordable Care Act, and that this was basically a grandiose plan from the Republicans that has been, you know, brewing in the system since 2010 when the Affordable Care Act got passed, and they knew that they couldn't get it done in Congress, so they just tried to take the conservative majority on the Supreme Court, and all of those Supreme Court uh, members of the Supreme Court that were more conservative were just going to sit there and just tear everything down and do everything that the Republicans wanted them to do. The whole premise of the argument brought by the Republican attorneys right now is that the individual mandate with Obamacare is unconstitutional. That's kind of the whole premise of their argument. An incredibly weak argument. And as we saw yesterday, with, um, with this case actually being set before the Supreme Court, the conservative justices on the Supreme Court are kind of like, this is a weak case. We're not going to throw out the entirety of Obamacare just because you disagree with one provision within it. We're going to just strike out that provision, right? That kind of seems like what we should do. So all of the fear-mongering that has been going on by the Democrats for the past month and a half has been just that, total and complete fear-mongering. They've been saying over and over and over again about how awful this would be, about the Republicans are doing their best to be able to ruin Christmas and ruin everything for everybody. And that's not what the Supreme Court is even leaning towards at all. And I feel like there were a lot of people on the right side of the aisle that were like, that's not true. The conservative justices are going to legislate the best way that they know how, just the same way as the Democratic, you know, justices are going to try and, or, or not legislate, but are going to rule or give their opinions based upon the way that they feel like the Constitution needs to be read. So um, the idea is basically that the individual mandate, if you don't know what that is, The individual mandate was a specific provision passed within the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare that basically makes it so that you pay a a tax or you pay a penalty if you refuse to get insurance. So if you don't want to pay for insurance through your health care employer or if you don't want to get insurance through Obamacare, then you're 
charged a penalty. Well, in 2017, with the tax uh, act that was passed by Donald Trump and the Republicans in Congress, uh, they made the penalty go down to 0%. However, now the Republicans are arguing that it's still a penalty for not buying insurance, and if you can't afford, that you basically can't force Americans to buy something if they don't want to buy it. That's what they're basically coming and saying. Argument, I guess, is sound. Like, right, you shouldn't force Americans to buy something. I can see the where the Republicans are coming from on that. But the Democrats and most of the justices on the Supreme Court right now are saying, well, why does that throw out the entirety of Obamacare? Like, why are you going to just throw the baby out with the bathwater right now? That doesn't make any sense. Like, just strike down that provision. So, um, actually, Judge Kavanaugh had a pretty interesting talk about it. He, um, or I guess, talked through it a little bit in the court today. Um, let's listen and I guess hear what he was saying about it today in court. I'm sorry to interrupt, uh, Mr. Verley, but let's assume, just for the sake of argument, assume I don't agree with that, and then we get to severability. Um, I tend to agree with you on that this is a very straightforward case for severability under our precedents, meaning that we would excise the mandate and leave the rest of the act in place, uh, reading our severability precedents. So basically what Kavanaugh is saying is uh, we would go ahead and just sever that provision out, right? Which is not what the Republicans want because the Republicans, for the most part, do want Obamacare to be gone. But the Supreme Court's not going to be like, not going to step in and say right now, well, oh, you know, it looks like the Republicans couldn't get that stuff legislated, so we're going to step in right now and we're going to make the changes. The Supreme Court's not buying it. They're not into it. And this is a majority conservative Supreme Court, right? Like, they have the majority right now. So um, the Republicans obviously want Obamacare to be gone, but all of this jumping up and down and this fear-mongering that the Democrats have been doing for the past, like, two months is absolutely incredible. And it's so frustrating because you're seeing all these people like Kamala Harris or Feinstein or, you know, I don't know, Chuck Schumer, any of these people that are just standing up and grandstanding and being like, the Republicans are trying to kill millions of people. Chuck Schumer stood up in the Senate when they confirmed Amy Coney Barrett and said that because Amy Coney Barrett was a conservative justice, and because she was going in there to try and get rid of Obamacare, that the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett would go down as one of the darkest days in American history. He actually said that. So, like, I'm not, I'm not buying the fear-mongering from the Democrats. Like, it's getting to the point where it's like, dude, just shoot straight. Like, and I know the Republicans do the same thing too, right? The Republicans do all kinds of ridiculous stuff and say all kinds of ridiculous stuff all the time. But it's obnoxious. The amount of stuff that it's like, the Supreme Court, just because it's a little bit conservative one way or because it's a little more liberal-leaning the other way, doesn't mean that the Supreme Court is going to step in and, quote, kill millions of Americans. That is ridiculous. But Kavanaugh, after the hearing, said, quote, It does seem fairly clear that the proper remedy would be to sever the mandate provision and leave the rest of the act in place. So, unlike what we've heard from most of the Democratic senators over the past couple months, it looks like the Supreme Court is likely going to just cut out the individual mandate and leave the rest of Obamacare in place, which is good. That's what they should do. It is up to the people in the legislature if they want to change Obamacare. The Republicans have been jumping up and down for a decade now, saying, talking about how horrible Obamacare is, but they had the House, and they had the Senate, and they had the presidency in 2016, and they didn't get anything passed for health care because they couldn't agree on anything and couldn't come up with a decent plan to replace it with. So 
all of it's pretty obvious. You know, we don't know exactly how the justices will vote, but they will likely vote to basically just carve out that provision, leave Obamacare in place. So this is just another classic example of politicians screaming and yelling about something that doesn't actually come to fruition. And they know it probably won't come to fruition, but they're trying to fear monger because they want what they want to get put in place. Classic. So with all of that having been said, that is the last story. We're going to hop on into my favorite part of the show, and obviously probably your favorite part of the show as well, but that is Made Me Smile. So something that made me smile this week is actually Veterans Day. Veterans Day, I think, is a fantastic holiday for a lot of reasons, but the number one reason, obviously, is to celebrate the people that bravely fought and died for our country. I think it is a wonderful thing that we as Americans can and should take time out of our week and out of our year to be able to thank those that have served valiantly and protect a lot of the things that we hold dear. I always get chills every single time that you know I watch any type of Veterans Day parade or ceremony because I really do think about how many people have you know, sacrificed their lives to be able to make sure that I have the freedom to sit here and talk about my political views on a podcast and spread that around to as many people as, as will listen or to be able to, I don't know, worship whatever God you want to and say the things that you want to say. It's honestly kind of incredible. And I appreciate so much the men and women that were willing and able to fight for our right to be able to have freedom of speech and the right to bear arms or, uh, you know, the freedom of the press, like all those things are such beautiful liberties that we have as Americans that the vast majority of the world doesn't have. And we owe that to our veterans. And I was sitting in church this past Sunday and they, you know, asked the veterans to basically stand up and for everybody to give them a bit of a round of applause because that happens frequently in any type of gathering in and around Veterans Day. And seeing all of the older, especially the older men stand up that are in their 60s, 70s and 80s stand up and with pride, you know, look around the congregation and everybody congratulate them and thank them for their service was just awesome and it was beautiful and reminded me of why this country is awesome and why this country is great so we've got a lot of things that we need to work on but there's anything we can all agree on is appreciation for veterans so with all of that that is the show for today thank you for tuning in thank you for hanging out Please find me on all of the different social medias. I'm on Instagram at Split the Difference Podcast with one T. I'm on Facebook at Split the Difference, YouTube at Split the Difference. I've got a website, splitthedifference.com with one T. Check me out there. Go to all of your favorite platforms. Like, subscribe, drop me a five-star review if you can. All of those things help out a ton. But as always, we're going to sign off and we're going to remember. Always keep a level head. Always be reasonable and always do your best to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor. <laughs>